The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you can, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Children, you can make your way to Children's Church, which is another uh, glow time, although I think most have already gone, but some are on their way now. Enjoy your time there. Will you look with me in Philippians chapter 1? I'm going to look at two texts this morning. The first one we'll read in this, um, in this moment, and then one just a little bit later. Here's the opening paragraph. The Apostle Paul has, uh, and I love A.W. Pink's book, uh, The Gleanings of the Prayers of the Apostle Paul. There are 17 of them that he analyzes from God's Word. This is one of them. But I want to just highlight one aspect of it, but listen, listen to it as I read the Word of God, which is the truth. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word abides forever. By his grace and his mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Church at Philippi. You want to read about its planting, go to Acts chapter 16, not right now, but on your own study time. You'll find an amazing church plant. <laughs> this last week I got a call from a fellow who's starting a planting a church and is asking whether Briarwood would like to participate in it with him. And so he sent us the information. And, and so and the question was now is this, are you parachuting in or do you have a core group? Well, the Apostle Paul parachuted into Philippi and he had a core group within a couple of days. The core group to plant the church at Philippi, a unique church that alone was allowed to participate from the first day until the end in financial and prayer and personal support of the Apostle Paul on a regular basis. This church... From the day it was planted until the day Paul finds himself in prison 
was engaged with him in the partnership of the gospel. How did this church get here? Well, he had a core group. He had a servant girl who was demon-possessed that got liberated. He had a jailer and his family who was converted when God freed Paul and his and all the prisoners and they remained and he said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. And then you had Lydia, a proselyte likely, a, a businesswoman who had uh, proselyted, who had been proselytized into Judaism, but then came to Christ when Paul came and presented the gospel. And she and her household became a part of the work of the gospel here at Philippi. That's not a very big core group, but that's what he started with, but it kept growing. I've, um, it's really interesting to me. I've had the opportunity to stand at the site, and it's pretty accurate. That's likely the site. In fact, you're standing on what was called the Ignatian Way. Rome built all kinds of highways. This was one highway. You've heard the statement, all roads lead to Rome. Well, this was one of those roads that led through Macedonia, through Greece, and you ended up back at Rome. I've stood on it. It's, uh, it would have been considered a double-wide uh, highway back then. Uh, you would not consider it today, but it's still there. And right there where it runs, right there beside it, is a jail. And that is historically the likely place where Paul was. Even more accurate is right above it is the Bema, the judgment seat where he was tried for the gospel. And where he secured the fact that Christians should be able to function within the Roman Empire. It's an amazing place to stand. And so Paul leaves there and he goes on and now he's writing a letter back to them. Here's a church that basically was planted in a jail. And now he's writing a letter back to them from another jail. Now he's in prison in Rome. And he writes to them with concerns and also thanks. The Apostle Paul, the reason you got the church at Philippi, though, let's back up a little bit more. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas went on a missionary journey. When they finished, they came back to Antioch. And in your Bible, Acts chapter 16, you have the account of the second missionary journey. And they go out and the Apostle Paul arrives at the very place that the pastor who just shared with us ministers. He arrived in what today we call Turkey. And he doesn't know he wants to go south toward Ephesus. But the Holy Spirit says no. Then he wants to go north. And the Holy Spirit says no. And he knows he's not supposed to go back. And then comes a vision. See, the scripture is still being unfolded. So divine revelation is continually being given. And the scripture records that Paul had a vision of a man who says, come over to Macedonia. Come over here and help us. Now Paul knows where to go. Here is his Macedonian call. So he goes across the Aegean Sea and he lands at a place called Neapolis. Then he goes to a place called Troas. And on this highway, he then arrives at Philippi, which is a Roman colony and capital. And he begins to engage in ministry. 
eventually under persecution and arrest. And now this church gets planted. And he writes a letter to them, this church that he allowed to partner with him. So now, folks, back up with me. We have now been for three Sundays and two weeks, as is our commitment each year to focus on world missions. This is not national missions focus. That's in, in the fall. And we actually focus on missions every all the time here. But we bring a particular focus and invite some of our missionary staff and family here each year to renew our commitment to be engaged in gospel partnership. Partnership with the gospel. This year, our missions team says, let's bring this particular focus, this theme. You just did it as the confession this morning. We ought to be fellow workers with the truth. We ought to support such people in a manner worthy of the Lord so that we might be fellow workers, partners in the gospel enterprise of taking the truth of salvation by grace through Christ to all the nations of the world. And when we send such people on in a manner worthy of the Lord, then we actually become fellow workers with them. So I tried to take the time on the first Sunday to give you a case study of what it looks like when you get gospel synergy, gospel partnership, fellow workers with the truth. We looked at a key church in the book of Acts. It's the church at Antioch. Antioch existed because the church at Jerusalem on three different occasions, we traced them out last uh, two weeks ago, on three different occasions, the church at, Anti at Jerusalem sent people to Antioch on three different occasions. And then when you look at the leadership of the church at Antioch, the leadership of the church at Antioch was a church um, was a church that had five pastors, five elders, five leaders, and none of them were from Antioch. In other words, their leadership had been received by, by God's providence sending them there. But not only is Antioch a church because others had sent and they had received, but then Antioch becomes a sending church by sending out their two best pastors, and that's the founding pastor, Barnabas, and his associate, Saul, who would later become Paul. And they send them out. They send out their two best. And the result is the first missionary journey. And then the result is a second missionary journey. And on the second missionary journey, Paul gets the Macedonian call, and when the call comes, he goes, and now you got the church at Philippi, which is a receiving church of what Antioch has sent to them, then they become ascending church by supporting Paul in his missionary endeavors from the beginning all the way to the time that he's now in prison. Do you see how this works? Do you see how it's working together as the body of Christ? A local church is a manifestation of the body of Christ, but it's not the body of Christ. It's not all the gifts of the spirit of God are not in any one local church. 
But God allows us to participate with other believers in other churches of like precious faith to get the Great Commission fulfilled and and equip people to live the Great Commandment. That's called gospel partnership. We're working together in the gospel. So now what I'd like now, of course, we were blessed by Richard last Sunday. Keep telling us that here are the people that are being sent here. We are. We're sent here. We're sending them out there. So we're all missionaries, so we send some cross-culturally, but we are missionaries here. But part of us going there is not that we go there, but we partner with those who go there by getting them there. So the question is, how do you work with those whom you send in a manner worthy of the Lord? The question is, how do you partner? The question is, how do you work together to get this done? So now let me confess something. I am not the sharpest knife uh, in the tray. I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. I just think you go back to the Bible. Here, not, not a few weeks after Paul gets to Europe, and many of us here know Christ from our European ancestry because Paul went there. And the gospel spread through Europe and Asia and South America and India and Africa. It began to reverberate like a gospel earthquake with gospel, um, with gospel tsunami waves throughout the world. And even just weeks after they land in Europe and Paul starts at Neapolis and Troas and Philippi, as they get to Thessalonia, an adversary will say this, these people have turned the world upside down. Now, folks, I know what turns the world upside down is the power of the gospel. I know who turns the world upside down. It's the Holy Spirit working through his people. But I love to just look at the Bible to find out how they turned the world upside down. And I confess to you, I have a mission that's been given to me in the Bible. I'll find it in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'll find it in Acts 1, uh, 4 through 9. I'll find it in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. I'll find it in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. I'll find it woven throughout the scriptures. I know what the mission is, that we are to make disciples of all the nations. And I know what the message is. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that then leads you into the whole counsel of God so that there's breadth and depth and height and, and width in the lives of God's people. And in his churches, I know that I know that is true on mission, on message. And I love the fact to be in ministry. So what is the ministry? Again, I confess to you, I can do no better than the Apostle Paul. And when he went on mission and on message and he arrived at places like Philippi, he always did four things. He did evangelism and discipleship, gospel evangelism and discipleship. He did gospel church planting or gospel strengthening, gospel uh, church. 
church strengthening, church revitalization. He did gospel deeds and he did gospel leadership, development and deployment, leadership, multiplication and mobilization. That's what he did. He didn't do anything else. He knew the culture needed change, but he didn't go change cultures. He went to get the gospel that changed people. And when they get the whole counsel of God, their lives change, their marriages change, their families change, their businesses change, and cultures change as a result of the church being on mission, on message, and in ministry. That's what we do. We do evangelism and discipleship, church planting and church revitalization, deeds of love and mercy and justice. And then we do what? We do leadership development and deployment. So that's what we do here. And we're somewhere between zero and 100 percent effective. And that's what they do out there. And if they don't do that, we don't support them. That's what they go to do on mission. On message in ministry. And I'll say now, because in a few minutes, you're going to make a commitment of faith promise. And I thank God for the missions committee that supports them, encourages them, stays with them, and continually makes sure that we all together stay on mission, on message, and in ministry. Ministry of upreach, ministry of outreach, ministry of inreach, and ministry of downreach. And I'm grateful for that. And that's what we do. So... My Then that comes to me, so if I want to partner with them, and Paul was sent by Antioch, he planted Philippi, and from the moment Philippi was planted, they became a supporting church, a partner church with Paul. How did they do it? Paul tells us. I'm simply going to read it, I'm going to outline it, and then give you a chance to respond to it. Would you take your Bibles and look with me in Philippians 4 and go to, go to the end of this. Now, of course, this is such a glorious epistle, and there's so much that we can learn from it. I just want to draw out a couple of things for us. So here's what it says in, in Philippians chapter 4, and uh, slip down to this very familiar text in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, stop right there just a moment. Paul knows you're in a broken world. Paul knows that concern, fear, anxiety is all around us all the time. He says, now listen, I do not want you to be anxious about anything. Now let me, let me qualify that. The same Paul that says, don't be anxious about anything, says this, I have concerns about the church. So Paul does not rule out in a broken world you got concerns about your family, about your ministry, about your friends, about all kinds of things. We have concerns. And the Bible tells us how to address them. And the first thing the Bible says to, to address these concerns so they don't become fears that paralyze you. They don't become anxieties that misdirect you. He says the way you handle these concerns, the first, not the only thing, but the first thing you do is know your theology. And your theology is your great God is near. He is with you. He is around you. He is in you. Now, he's opened up the way for you to pray. So call upon him. He is near. 
He is as the song we used to sing, sing when I was a youth pastor. He is only the prayer away. His spirit is within you. The throne of grace is open up to you. The blessings of God have been secured for you in a broken world. So be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. But notice something. He is not deifying prayer. He is giving you the majesty of Christ who is accessed by prayer. Prayer is the means of grace. Jesus is the fountain of grace. He is the one who calms the troubled soul, that gives direction, and that upholds you. So you call upon him. Then, instead of anxiety, is reasonableness, gentleness, confidence in the Lord. And the text says the result is Jesus himself stands guard over your heart. He stands sentry and guards your heart. Then he says, after telling them about intercessory prayer, giving them the clue as to why he could live from prison to prison. They've already seen him in one prison. That's how their church got started. Now he's in another prison in Rome. He's already been in prisons in Jerusalem. He'd be Caesarea by the sea. He'll be in Rome twice. The reason he is not anxious is because of the Lord and that he can call upon the Lord in prayer. So then he says, he says, if you'll skip down to verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord. Not notice, not in prayer. Prayer is the means of rejoicing and praying. You rejoice in the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I, I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you. You, to share partnership, share in my troubles. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in, see that phrase again, giving and receiving. We receive and we give. We give and we receive. Partnership in the gospel. Except you only, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help from my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek that fruit that increases to your credit. Our engagement in the gospel in a manner worthy of the Lord honors the Lord and the our Lord will be a debtor to no man. The Lord then blesses those who blessed his name. Not I'm not talking about, you know, believe it and receive it stuff. I'm talking about you give and the Lord blesses you in your walk with him. In your, in your life for Him. In the anticipation of glory. You're actually laying up treasures in heaven that you can use for worship material when you get to heaven. To give praise to Him. So that's how, that's how Paul is giving us this picture. That you, in support, he's not putting that into his account. He says, when you support me, it's going into your account before the Lord. I have received payment. And more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's what faith promise ministry is. Worship. A fragrant offering to the Lord. 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. So again, you want to get in partnership? Paul outlines it. He said there's three things you do. And I'll put them in P's, okay? Personally engage. Prayerfully engage. And provisions give. Notice he calls them to intercessory prayer. And he prays for them. Don't you love that? Paul doesn't say, I'm the missionary, you pray for me. Paul, the missionary, is praying for them. Then he teaches them about how to pray. And they can pray for him. And they can pray for the mission. And they can pray for the message. And they can pray for the ministry. And they can pray for the missionaries. Then... They're personally engaged. They even sent Epaphroditus with a short-term missions team to bring the gift. And he calls Epaphroditus and the gift a fragrant offering to the Lord as they personally engage with him. And then thirdly, they give the gifts, the provision. I mentioned to the first congregation this morning. I love it. I can't remember the guy. I just remember he was a Baptist preacher. And I used to love to. I think it was Vance Havner. But I'm not sure. Vance Havner said this one time. And I love the way he said it. He said, you can tell everybody that the river of life is free. Amen. <laughs> Mercy. That was terrible. <laughs> the river of life is free. Amen. Praise the Lord. Man, I'm starting to worry here. But then he said this, but the plumbing cost. It's going to cost people their life. It's going to cost time to pray. It's going to cost time to be personally engaged. It's going to cost provisions. But I can't think of a better use of any of it than to get the gospel of the kingdom to the kingdoms of this world. That men and women from every tribe and nation, every ethnicity, could be brought to Christ. So folks, you got that card in front of you. We're just going to take a few minutes at the end of this service to commit ourselves. But I want to maybe ask you to think about it. I want you to think about it personally. How can I be engaged personally? Not just, okay, I'm going to give this and the missionaries are going to do that. How can you be engaged personally? Can I make some suggestions to you? Number one is this. In fact, I just had the opportunity to be with some of our younger communities. Um, and I thank the Lord. We just keep growing with our younger communities and, and all of these young couples and graduates and career. And I just praise the Lord for all of them and the privilege to meet with them uh, and to see what the Lord's doing in their life. But in particular, I mentioned to them, in particular, those who are a little bit on the younger scale, what a time to come under the mentorship of some of the older people in this congregation. You remember that 55 years we've had missions conference? There's a couple there that have been there the whole time. There's some people there with great wisdom. And if you've got a heart for it, what a great... And even couples, what a great way to do ministry together is in a, a, on that global missions team and personally get engaged and see what the Lord's doing. I mean, we're taking these flags out in a minute. We've got missionaries in every one of these places. All around you. How can we know them? 
How can we be engaged with them? It takes people to know people, to take the gospel to people who need the Lord, and we are engaged with people. You might be led, even after this missions conference, to focus on one or two missionaries in particular, or one area personally. You might be particularly moved, whether it's South America or Africa or Asia, that you're personally starting to be engaged in that particular area. I got another one. We're all missionaries. You're either a missionary or you're a mission field. So if you're saved, you're a missionary. You're a sent one. You're sent here. You're a home missionary. But maybe God is beginning to awaken you to perhaps you might be a cross-cultural missionary. Now, please don't think, oh, yeah, if I become a missionary, I'll become an evangelist. No, you got to be an evangelist here to be an evangelist over there. But maybe God is moving on your heart that you're called to be just and you'd let Brian and the team know I'd like to explore this in my life so you can personally be engaged. Folks. When we work through these things, there is a Macedonian call now to take the gospel to the world. And we don't want to miss it. What about your prayer support? Maybe you're led to... Now pray for all the missionaries. If nothing else, every Sunday there's a flag up here representing a mission field and missionaries. And you get it during the week in the midweek so that you can pray for them. That's the way we use, We don't use flags here for nationalism. We use them to identify the nations that we're taking the gospel to. And so when you see that flag and you see it in your, in your worship folder, you saw it in the midweek that you can pray for them. Or maybe there's an area that you want to focus on in your prayer life this year. Or maybe there's a couple of missionaries that you want. But put, develop a strategic ministry of intercessory prayer for world evangelism. And then thirdly, what about your faith promise? I'm asking you, get started. Don't wait. I was challenged. I was raised in a church that did this, but I wanted no part of it. And then I became a Christian. I said, you know, I need to have a part of this. So in 1972, Cindy and I started tithing. Well, she had been tithing since the womb, but I started tithing. I started tithing and I said to her, honey, we're going to do a faith promise commitment. Now, she didn't know what that was because they did it in a different way in the Southern Baptist Church. So I said, I'm going to do a faith promise commitment. She said, well, how much? I said, 25 cents. I know you're sitting there saying 25 cents. Well, if I could take you back to 1972 and you could see where I was and where we were in life, that's a big commitment. The tithe and, 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 and faith promise, that's beyond the tithe. What do you believe God's going to give you? And where's Brian? Is he here? If, if the Lord gets it to you, then you promise it'll get through you. That's the way it works. Faith. What do I anticipate the Lord's going to get to me? And when he gets it to me, here's the way Cindy and I think about it. Systematic. What can we do regularly? Sacrificially. What were we going to do this year that we're not going to do? We're going to give it to missions. And then supernaturally. Listen, if God could cause Egyptians to throw gold and silver into the wagons of the Israelites on their way out, who, what's God going to get? The, how is God going to plunder the Egyptians to throw some gold to us? And when he gets it to us, it's not for our living standard. It's to get to us, to get through us. That's our faith promise. That's what we would anticipate. 
Folks, that 25 cents, I'm not going to tell you what Cindy and I give now, but God's raised the ante. But I am grateful for that October day in 1972 we got started. What is God moving that you would be started personally, prayerfully? After World War II, after World War II, General Douglas MacArthur was put over the rebuilding uh, Marshall was over Europe and MacArthur was over Japan. He looked at the emptiness of Japan. Do you know what the number of Christians number about in Japan right now? I need to check with the nuisance for sure. But what I understand is it's less than 1% or barely over 1% in Japan Christians. But when MacArthur was there, he saw... How the Shinto religion was decimated. Emperor worship was eradicated. There was such dismay and depression and discouragement. He saw the emptiness. Those who had worshipped their military. And he said, now's the time. And he wrote back and asked. He asked for 10,000 missionaries. And he asked for 10 million Bibles. He got approximately 200 missionaries. And about 1,000 Bibles. Some have said that was MacArthur being used of the Lord for a Macedonian call to Japan. But we didn't answer. We were too busy with our own lives. And we didn't answer. Thus, one percent. I believe in the world, in the Muslim world. I believe throughout the world. I believe in my own nation. There is an emptiness. So every day when we gather to worship, when the benediction's given, you scatter to share the gospel as a missionary the next six days. And then let's work with those whom God is calling to send throughout the world. Personally, prayerfully, with provisions that God has got to us, that we get through us, that then is sent to plant churches, do evangelism and discipleship throughout the world. I'm going to ask you to take your card and just spend a few moments in prayer. Many of you have already filled it out. I just want you to pray over it right now. I want you to pray that God will multiply it and use it. You remember that little boy with the two fishes and the, two, and the five loaves? When he went home, do you think he said to his mother, can you believe it? They took all my fishes and loaves. Now, when he went home, he said, Mama, you won't believe what God did with my fishes and loaves. What is it that God would give to you? Y'all ever noticed how Brian and Tom, when they give us the first account, which they'll do tonight at the end of the service, you ever notice how they'll say uh, $2,100,058.17? That was Tom and Brian trying to tell you and me some children have already got the idea. Our families committed to world mission. Just pray over yours. What God's leading you to do. Maybe God's leading you to change it. 
Maybe God is leading you to fill one out. People need the Lord. We've got people to go to Him. Let's send them in a manner worthy and partner with them. You take these few moments that these people will take the gospel to people who need the Lord. Let's pray over it. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.